Let me show you Africa as an entrepreneur. Africa is a fundamental part of the global economy. There are people building businesses in Africa, continental businesses that are huge businesses. So it's a vibrant, young market with lots of energy, talent, and skills. What can I do? What role can I play? What is my purpose? When we put our faith and our trust in God, He's the master strategist and always directs our path. God went after the very thing that could become a mammon stronghold in my life. He said He wants that. And every time it gets too difficult, I basically say, you are the one, this is your business, God. You will get the glory. Uh, there's a way the world does business and there's a way we do business. So come, come see that Africa. The size of our continent, along with our diverse cultures, provide us with rich insights into God and His creativity. We are excited to highlight the many influential voices of innovators and entrepreneurs across Africa. We will also feature some entrepreneurs from around the world who we think have important things to say, no matter where we call home. These are the stories of how businesses flourish and how his call to create continues to this day. Come for the content. Stay for the community. Welcome to Faith Driven Entrepreneur. Faith Driven Entrepreneur Africa spotlights the voices across the continent, which is why you will mostly hear distinctively African stories on this podcast. But we are also part of a global movement, so we'll mix in some of the best content from around the world to hear what God is doing in other areas as well. Today, we are featuring an episode with John and Ashley Marsh that was originally recorded with our global faith-driven entrepreneur team. As co-founders of Marsh Collective, this dynamic duo has renovated 220-plus buildings within 10 blocks of downtown Opelika, Alabama, turning it into the gold standard for small-town revitalization. Over the past 25 years, John and Ashley have also guided more than 40 startup businesses in construction, real estate investing, advertising, and restaurants. Through it all, the Marshs have managed to build a strong marriage, but not without heartbreak and close calls along the way. They share some of the pitfalls they have faced, the challenges they have endured, and the redemption God has graced them with. Join us for an inspiring conversation with John and Ashley Marsh. Welcome back to the Faith Driven Entrepreneur Podcast. I am here with William. William. It's a good day. It's a good day to be here. We've got more Alabama people coming on the podcast, which is always exciting. Yes, it is. It is always exciting. Uh, we are missing Rusty. Rusty is driving cross country. Rusty splits his time between the barrier and the beautiful, awesome state of Rhode Island. And he's on route right now. So we are missing him. It was so good, by the way, William. Uh, last week, you may or may not know this, but the day before you and I got a chance to do a lot of recording for season two of the Faith Driven Entrepreneur series in the Redwoods, you and I got a chance to do some of that in front of 2,000-year-old trees, which was really, really cool. I got to do a lot of that with Chip Ingram, which was neat, special for me. But the day before that, we were at Crossroads Church, which is Rusty's church. Met a senior pastor who's an awesome guy, and, and got to hang out with some oh, of that Pastor team. Terry. Yeah, he's Pastor great. Pastor Terry. 
Yeah, Pastor Terry was great. And obviously, we talked a lot about college basketball. We were recording this right after the end of the NCAAs, and, and pretty and much just, everybody had a team in it. Just how sad are you, Henry? Uh, I'm actually not really that sad. I'm not that sad because if you've been listening to this for a while, you probably know that I'm a Carolina fan. Uh, Carolina did reasonably well, did very well. It overachieved, got pretty close, but what a season. And the thing that was just so encouraging to me was that we beat Duke. No, that's not what was encouraging to me. What was encouraging to me was the fact that Hubert Davis did such a great job in winsomely talking about his faith. It wasn't an over-the-top thing. It came up in conversation. It was natural. It was sincere. And his love of God and love of his players came through. And that, I think, was the big win. And yes, it's more it's fun to watch your team win, but it's really fun when the good guys win. And I think back to what we've had. And by the way, this is not a sports podcast, if people are just tuning in. But when I think back to Tony Bennett, UVA coach, just unapologetically talking about his faith as UVA won. And then I think last year, Scott Drew, who we had on the Faith Driven Athlete podcast, which was a COVID project we did, Scott Drew, and now Hubert Davis. I mean, it's just awesome when the good guys win. And we saw that. That's amazing. Yeah, it was a fun journey. And uh, yes, everybody else's teams lost eventually. So as the podcast host, we're kind of glad Henry lost because the rest of us did too. So that makes us feel better. Misery loves company. But we've got great fans of the Faith Driven Entrepreneur podcast in Kansas. And who are Kansas fans? In fact, I was talking to one of them who's a watch party host for our conferences coming up. And Lacey Ellis is just a fantastic watch party host. Had a watch party in Kansas City and 50 people came to it. So we've got a lot of people in our community that are really, really fired up. So we celebrate with them. But today we're talking about something much bigger than college basketball. We're talking about being just really committed to the creative process that is entrepreneurship, but also the creative, never-ending work of being devoted to one's spouse. And as I was talking about this, as we were kind of, quote-unquote, backstage, I told Ashley something that I really mean to be really mean, and that is John has encouraged me in my love of Kimberly, and that he will take any time when he's talking to a man to make sure that they are loving their brides well. And I'm grateful for that. And many of our audience will be very familiar with John and Ash's story, which was so beautifully done by our partners at Seattle Pacific through their Faith and Company video on their story, which features as week six in the FDE video series, where we have groups of entrepreneurs. We had 1,600 in January and February across 88 countries getting together in community talking about God's call to create our identity in Christ, etc. We've had John on the podcast before. We've never had Ash on the podcast before. We have not spent nearly as much time talking about how important it is that we love our spouses well, and we're going to make up for that right now. John and Ash, thank you very, very much for being with us. Thank you. This is awesome. So we want, as we do with every podcast, we want to do an autobiographical flyover of the stories of our guest and where they've come from, how they came to know the Lord. We're not going to be able to do as good of a job right now as that video does, but nonetheless, give us some broad strokes on that, and then let's go right into the things that you guys are doing. And William will take us on this part, because of course this is near and dear to William, because just being involved in the creative process in his beloved state of Alabama is huge. We want to talk, of course, about community revitalization. But yeah, we really want to talk about what you have learned about loving on your spouses. But please, give us that autobiographical flyover. Either of you can lead. Are you deferring to me? Oh, word. (laughs) (laughs) So I am from Opelika, Alabama, of course. And I grew up 
in a pretty hard situation most of my life. And I always wanted to be loved and accepted by my father and definitely by others. But whenever I was a young girl, I was pretty much just left to myself and I didn't have a lot of confidence. And I finally meet this man, John Marsh, and he's bigger than the world to me and the universe. I've never met anyone like him. This is all obviously pre-Jesus. We met each other at a very young age and ended up just doing everything wrong and hurtful to each other, not knowing the consequences that would be there and not knowing that there was another way. And I ended up putting me in a situation where I committed adultery against John and um, actually ended up at one point being pregnant, not knowing whose child it was. And just it, it drove me to the absolute end of myself to where I had no other option but to cry out and ask God to help me save me from me that's the best way I knew to put that or know to put that and um, of course God did God is so faithful and such a blessing but you know what I realized through that is what I was looking for was for someone to accept me and love me and I was looking for someone to anticipate me and want me And even though John, you know, before Christ knew how to love me, he was trying. It just was not what I was built to receive. God made us built to receive that from him, obviously. So now we have a life that is so full and I'm so loved. I sometimes walk around and and feel really full of myself because I know how well loved I am by my father, by my husband. He doesn't just say those things. He acts those out and he walks everything that he speaks and he does it even whenever he doesn't do it perfectly. He tries absolutely graciously. So, but that is my short take is that God met me on a floor in a puddled heap of me trying to get away from myself. And thankfully he wasn't trying to get away from me. He was trying to get to me. So that's me. John. Well, um, I led my family in a way that didn't honor God and I planted corn and I got lots of corn. Um, the responsibility for that was on me. If I was a godly man, she would have had something to follow. And so Even in the garden, God wasn't calling anybody's cell phone number but Adam's to ask what he did with what he's been entrusted. So because I didn't lead my family in a way that honored God, I planted the wind and reaped the whirlwind. But there is something beautiful about something that's lost and found. It can even be more precious than something that was never lost. And so we can be new again. That's the story. The story seems too good to be true. I think that's why you call it good news. But what happened is I grew up, my mom... Tried to have a child for 13 years, couldn't, adopted me, and 18 months later had my little brother. And she took to spoiling me, to telling me I could do anything, that nothing was beyond what I could do, and I was very special. And I followed God until I got to the place that I made a a choice to step across the lines with a young girl and do something that I knew would be against God and my family and started rebelling. And, you know, once you start rebelling, and me and my brother walked side by side, and I rebelled, and he didn't, and... Rebellion, some of us that choose it, the hardest thing is when you most need something. The thing you most need is what you least deserve, which is praise. And so as I was hurting and uh, doing all the wrong things and looking for acceptance in them, ended up getting hooked on first on money because I was so entrepreneurially promiscuous. I've never had a real job. I just wanted to build and make stuff. I love business. I felt like a mosquito in a nudist colony. Everywhere I looked was opportunity. And so I would start things and do things. And without God, I was just so unhinged. So at 23 years old, Ash and I were a million and a half dollars in debt, $99,000 overdrawn, going through a divorce. And I went in the attic of our house to hang myself, 
kept hearing, kill yourself and kill yourself. And God reframed that and touched me and said, die to yourself and don't take your life, but lay your life down. And like lightning struck me, I got touched by love and it got past the fence. And um, I was forever shook up from that moment. And so I just realized that there's a God that loves us that can redeem anything. Nothing is too broken to be made beautiful. And we worked our way out of that debt, repented one check at a time for about seven and a half years and cheered when we got to zero. And God has been so faithful to put everything we went through and design it for what we're going to. That's amazing. Thank you both for sharing that and for sharing your hearts and and where God's taking you through these moments. And apologies, it feels like a, a rough transition, but I really want to dig into the businesses that God's blessed you to steward and walk alongside. And I know your story continues to intertwine with all these businesses because I've been grateful to hear some of it, but, you know, maybe I'll start with you, John. I mean, you know, I hear you describe yourself in lots of fun phrases, so I'm going to spin you up and let you go. Right. Cause I think that's the best strategy here, <laughs> but you know, you call yourself a hybrid at some levels, you know, you're, you're, you're part this, you're part that tell us a little more about how you define your entrepreneurial journey and how you see yourself in, in this landscape. Well, I think is when we find our giftings, they make room for us and put us before kings and men. And my gifting in so many ways is vision and connection. And what's challenging sometimes is find where your vision lies underneath all the things you've been good at, like what's really behind it. And for me, I believe I have the gift of seeing potential in people and places. And that's what allowed us to do all the work in our city, do over 275 properties in 10 square blocks and start over 60 businesses now and just learn and grow and stumble all the way. You know, we failed more than I ever imagined we would, but we've had some things really work and it's been incredible and we've learned a lot along the way. And it's like we got a practical PhD in building businesses. And and once you find the place of your anointing, like for us in the 10 square blocks that we've loved for 25 years, we're anointed to do work there. We were called by God to love a small place with all our hearts. And in loving those 10 square blocks for 25 years, now God's opened up the door and we help 10 cities around America now steward their towns. So we love one town and God gave us 10. And so that's really the divine story that if you honor God and use your gifts, he'll make room for you. And um, we get to do things that I'm amazed right now that we get to do. I can't believe we get to get up every day and love people in places at the scale we're doing it and do it together. Can you give us an example of some of those places? We've talked about Opelika before on the podcast, but tell us about some of those other cities that you've been entrusted with and what that looks like in their stories and what your projects have been. Great. Well, the smallest town is a town of 800 in Kentucky called Bloomfield, Kentucky. Our clients there invested a lot of money there and couldn't make it grow. And that's one thing we realized. I asked them, where is your town? They said, all dressed up and nowhere to go. Money can't do this alone. It's like putting out a forest fire with $100 bills. So small or large, our town's from 800 all the way to about 180,000. Winter Haven, Florida is a great example of the largest town we work in. They purchased the bulk of 80 blocks of downtown Winter Haven. And what they did is a $200 million portfolio, and they raised $100 million close to it from 60 locals, a community development fund to love the place they live. And have really accomplished some incredible things. Like now we have 500 multifamily 
units going infill in between the historic buildings. And it's so powerful. What we say is we create and curate irreplaceable real estate. And you say, well, why is it irreplaceable? And I said, it's built with materials we don't have anymore by people who don't live anymore and methods we don't do anymore with entitlements we can't get anymore. And so it's how do you love a place in such a way that will make your Sunday school teacher happy and your economics teacher happy? Is that possible to do good and do well? And um, we found that it is. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. So that comprises Marsh Collective, right? And, and kind of what you're doing there on the real estate side. Is that is that fair? So we do that. We say we invest in companies, couples, and communities. That's kind of through Marsh Collective. And then we still steward. We own close to 200 properties in Opelika and steward that and the five companies we have there. And Ash, five years ago, an interesting transition. Ash had been homeschooling for 20 years, our sons. That was up, and she asked, what did she want to do? She said, I want to run these companies. And so I stepped out of the way, and she stepped in. And really, it was hard not to feel like like I'd messed it up all along after I saw what she was capable of and the amazing detail. And you just realize that what got you here won't take you where you want to go. And her gifts were ideal for the season to go from you know entrepreneurship to establishment in some ways in, in these businesses. No, that's real. And, and every entrepreneur goes through that, right? I mean, you, you build things and you have to start slowly giving pieces to other people. And to your point, a lot of times those pieces are to people that uh, I'll say it as nice as I can, that actually know what they're doing, as opposed to people like us sometimes that are just building things and seeing what happens. And so, okay, we're going to get to, I want to hear Ash's part of that story in a minute. John, what are you doing now? So as you've stepped away, what has God called you to next? Well, we say that, you know, these cities, I do believe there's some new things we're involved with. We believe we're creating a new asset class of real estate, this irreplaceable real estate. I mean, we've been through the commercial real estate. We've been through residential real estate. Imagine real estate portfolio that is designed with irreplaceable real estate, with historic downtowns, small towns that's built in such a way that you could have it at scale that with some all the tools we've learned along the way to make them work would be there and it would give some liquidity options for people who want to, I mean, what do you do with portfolios like ours and all these other cities? How can we make them generationally stewarded? How do we love and steward them well for the good of our community for the next 50 years? And so I'm interested in that. Henry has helped and some of the guys in a meeting recently encouraged me to write a book or two. So we've got our first book that we've kind of decided to do. And that's going to be on this idea of redemptive real estate or irreplaceable real estate. And then we're also going to write a, a book on marriage about how do you work together, husband and wife? What does it mean to be a high impact couple that does life together at the scale we're doing it? So it's content, it's some consulting, and it's really kind of developed the consulting. We used to do it for fees and fixed price. Then we started to do it for fees, and we take some equity in certain situations. And now it's fees, equity, and we bring capital. And so this is the new model of how we're deploying our gifts into a unique way of dealing with real estate portfolios and projects. Oh, that's amazing. That's amazing. And okay, I'm going to go to your second book first, because I'm going to get your answer. And then we're going to swing over and get Ash's answer, as we did when we started. So working together in marriage, what works, what doesn't work? What advice? Uh, I know you're not the only 
team walking through this journey together. And as most entrepreneurs know, my wife doesn't technically work in the business, but she's sure part of it, you know? And so we have to talk about those things too. What do you think? What's the outline of the book? Walk us through it. Well, the, that's still where work to get it, but it is this. It's, you know, if I had to say it at one level, what's it like to sleep with a bill collector? Or what is it like to have, you know, all these roles and hats at the same time? If you're sideways at work, you're sideways at home. And that can be really difficult. And how do you honor the different roles that we have? So what we've done is pulled down sophisticated business tools into our marriage. We've created frameworks. We have a weekly meeting that's her and I meeting over what we say is a visionary integrator meeting using the kind of the rocket fuel mindset from EOS. And so we'll have the meeting and we'll do all of our detail, guardian detail, we call it, that Ash wants all the details of what we're doing. And then the last section, we'll move to another place and she'll let me just vision and be excitable and she won't shoot me down. Because what used to happen, I called her the dream squisher. I'd be getting all excited about stuff. Oh man, we're going to build an indoor skydiving arena, 700 horsepower diesel motor things going to be amazing. And she's like, how you going to finance that? Who's going to insure that? What about the permits? And so I'd say, baby, it's like we get the room set up with beautiful candles and everything's going good. And you turn on a bunch of fluorescent lights. I said, you're killing the mood when I'm visioning here. And so we had to learn how to vision together. And so the second part, all she does is Mm, tell me more. Interesting. And she just, she says that over and over and I get more excited the more she says it. So it's a weekly meeting, just like our business meetings that are divided in such a way that we can work together and have our heated fellowship, which we call our conflict heated fellowship and to engineer our heated fellowship weekly. Um, he's right about every bit of that. And I will add that two of the things that actually I believe are key to what has helped us so much in working that way together well, which is not always that way. Our heated fellowship is really, when it's heated, it's robust and it gives us a great opportunity for just wonderful repentance and forgiveness, you know, <laughs> but that's how we grow and that's how we learn about each other and how we continue to challenge and change. But honestly, learning which one of us has a future voice and a present voice, that's been really huge. And John, I bet you can't guess between us who has what, but um, John is very future oriented. He's always looking for the next greatest thing. Actually, his car tag says great idea on it because he's always got a great idea, you know, and I'm very present. And so I have a hard time getting in the future. You have to convince me that it's safe to go there. Once you give me enough markers on that, then I'm your greatest person to help you get there. But if you try to drag me, I'm pretty ferocious on the other side, but the other thing is the plan, promise, and provisional. And so we speak a certain way, all of us do. I speak and promise, definitely. That means if you, if you hear me say it or if you say it to me, I think it's actually happening. That's what we're doing. John speaks provisionally and pretty much everything he says is not really what we're doing. It's what he's thinking about or having an idea about. And so if you are a promise person and you're hearing a provisional person talk, you're thinking, this is what they want me to do. Oh, my gosh. And so he's talking about these meetings we have. And when we first started these, I was so overwhelmed because all of these details that he's talking about that we go over are needed, but because there wasn't a direct information coming to me saying that these were, again, their details are just ideas. So 
is that every one of them became a task to me that I was trying to accomplish. And so we finally realized that what I need to have is give me the top five, give me the top 10 that I need to accomplish this week for you to feel good about where we're going. And then let me know when you're talking provisionally, because I, I call it open browser syndrome. I can't deal with it. <laughs> it trips my breakers. And the idea of plan. So what provisionals, no idea is a bad idea. Plan is we're going there, but we don't know how. Promises come hell or high water. We gave our word. And so she'll ask, are we, and sometimes I'll say we're plan visional. I'm moving from provisional to a plan. And we get to a plan, you know, the greatest thing we have together as husband and wife is to get on the same page, lay our hands on something, get in unity and ask God to bless it. It's the most powerful force for us in our life. And uh, even our, we'll do one meeting a year, we call our state of the family, where we bring in two of our mentors and They'll sit down and we'll try to do all of our years heated fellowship in one day. We'll talk about everything we don't want to talk about. Try to get aligned with it with adult supervision and then put our hands on it and ask God to bless it. And we've seen tremendous power because if you don't have a vision, you've got division. That's two visions. And that's not blessable. John and Ashley, I'm curious about what you have seen in your decades now of working with other couples and seeing the most common areas of dysfunction and the best way to fix it. Clearly, you just give some great tactics, and I think that a whole bunch of different things that we can employ as we endeavor to speak a different language to our spouse and work differently. But what do you see out there? Because my sense is that more couples come to you for counseling than most. What do you see as the common thing, the common challenge, and what you tell them to rectify it? I believe from my perspective, what I see, and it's typically the woman, but not always, but most of the time the woman, they don't speak up and actually bring their true gifts to the table because it can sound easily like we're being resistant or being controlling or maybe we're worrying or we're not trusting, but it sounds negative. Typically when we bring challenge, it can sound negative and it's not well received. Now, sometimes I believe that that's because of how we deliver that information if we don't know how to really speak to our spouses in those situations or whenever we're trying to either dream or execute, then it can get sideways really easily. But that's the thing that I have seen, honestly, is that women a lot of times do not stand up and actually participate in a way that brings their greatest gift to the table. And honestly, I believe our husbands want that. I know they need it. God created us to need each other. But like my husband, and he says it, and I hope it's okay to say this on here. You can take it out if not. But he used to say, he's like, hey, as long as sex and supper was okay, everything was fine. Yes, I think that's going to get past the censors. That that's word. Okay. It's the first time. <laughs> you, know, we're, we're, you know, we had 200 episodes in it. It's the first time the word sex has been mentioned. I think it's going to be good for ratings. Thank you. <laughs> but yeah, in other words, it's like, as long as nobody's fussing about anything, obviously everything's okay. And I believe that most women have the ability just to put their heads down and do the work and they take care of the home, they take care of the kids, they take care of their husband, they do all the things. So it's easy to think that everything's okay because they're not saying anything and they might not have a different opinion or a resistant opinion, but they might not give all of the information that they have that can actually benefit the decision or benefit the business. And so that's what I see most of the time is that women are withholding they're gifting and they're not being bold with what God has for them to bring to that. So that's my take on that. Well, and I think it's hard because most, I think, spouses don't know enough to comment, they think, and that's on the husband. If your spouse doesn't know enough to comment intelligently, that's on you. 
And you don't have to have logic ain't everything because there's the Holy Spirit guiding us. And so, you know, people are down on what they're not up on. And so Ash and I had to get to the place. My thing is I did promiscuous visioning with everybody but her and then came back to sell her heart on what I wanted to do. And I just overwhelm her. And she would say, about three questions in, I'd just get mad and holler at her. I said, I've done strapped myself to the Unabomber because we can't get to a decision with everything I try to do. You're telling me no, you're a dream squisher. And so she would say, no, do you want me to help or do you just want me to say yes to whatever you say? If you want me to do that, and I'm like, no, 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 that's not blessable. So we'd be in this trap situation. And what I realized is we had to learn to vision together at some level, because without a vision, people and relationships perish. And so I had to slow down long enough. And it took us three years to get aligned in visioning, where now my number one vision partner is my wife. And I could have done that all along if I would have taken the time, been patient enough and ask myself, do I really want to make half-brain decisions or do I want to stand there with my wife and make decisions about how it's going to shape our life? And so that's been really difficult. And then it is a thing. You don't want a lot of conflict. I mean, like she said, the sex and supper thing is really true. If you get sideways, one of those could go out the window quickly and you really don't want that. You want everything to keep moving along here. And so it's kind of this, you know, we say expectations are unvoiced demands. So without a place for us to have those hard conversations, we'd have them at the time that would blow up what I was looking forward to. And so we had to engineer of an environment, a safe environment, to talk about those things that were hard to talk about and to bring effective challenge and support. Well, and to attack on that, to give an example of, he called me a dream squisher. And that has been a real term that's been used for me. So just so y'all know that. Oh my. Uh, and the bill collector as well. But, you know, the questions that I would bring were ones that to me were very logical. I'm a very logical person. I don't deal with a lot of emotion in my decisions, but I would ask things like whenever he would say, I don't know, he, I think he's given an example. He wanted to do an indoor skydiving. He really did want to do that, by the way. That's not a made up conversation. <laughs> Um, and I'm I like, love that it's in past tense, though. So it's pretty clear that didn't happen. But you wanted to. I dream squished it. <laughs> but my questions were, okay, so how are we going to pay for that? Why would you ask me a question like that? But the next question was, well, what about the liability? Where do you, I mean, how do you even insure that? I mean, what if somebody hurts themselves or dies? You know, and so I'm asking these questions, and all he's hearing is rejection, rejection, rejection. So it took us a few years for him to trust that when I bring these questions, it's because I'm trying to help you resolve all of the avenues that could possibly come against this very idea to make sure it's bulletproof. And then if it needs to go forward, it's not because I'm trying to shoot it down. I have no desire to shoot you down. Of course, he taught me how to bring those questions and challenge to him. And it's both sides. He has to hear the questions and I have to learn to be quiet and let him actually give the explanation. Yeah. And I, I heard there was a small mistake of around $7 million or so once just a tiny little error that may be a great story to, you know, put a bow around this discussion. Could you tell us a little so bit about that? This is back when the defecation hit the ventilation in our life. And uh, we were having a whole lot of problems. We were in that situation. And so the bank is going to take us and they're going to wrap up all our unpayable small loans into one large unpayable loan. And so they were doing this for our benefit, of course. And so I thought, man, this is great, Ash. This is going to be killer. They're going to take, they can give us a consolidation loan. 
And so she was like, baby, this thing don't feel right. They gave us the paperwork Friday at five in the afternoon, and we got to sign at seven on Monday. How do poor people like us get any legal counsel? No, 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 baby, look at the numbers. Are you crazy? And so we went on and on about this, and and I said, logic, look at this thing. And, and this was one of the times that she was being more emotional and I was being more logical, which is a, a unique change for us sometimes. And she said, uh, well, it just doesn't feel right. Well, I said, it looks right. And so what I realized, feelings ain't nothing and logic ain't everything. Because we made that decision and the bank actually defrauded us and had us sign a document at the end that we didn't understand called an arbitration agreement to waive the right to trial by jury of 12 of our peers before a group of arbitrators. But God used it in a powerful way because that thing was a double-edged sword. It required 10% of that total amount to be paid in order to bring this back up. And so God used it. But it, when we went to some attorneys and said, here's what we did, they said, y'all guys were defrauded. This thing would be worth $7 million if you didn't sign that agreement. And Ash said, I told you it didn't feel right. God was showing me it didn't feel right. And I told her, I said, I'll never make another decision that you don't have veto power on. There's nothing. I said, you've got veto power in anything in our life. And guys, there's mentors that look at our stuff, a board of advisor people, team of bright people who we all know. But if Ash says no, we don't go and I don't care what it is. Now that's just for us, but she can stop anything. And she, I can't think of the last time she used it, but believe me, she has all the power too. And she doesn't have to be able to explain why. We feel like for us, we've got to do it together. and We've got to be totally in unity. Does John have veto power too? He does. I just don't make a lot of decisions. I don't lead a charge in a lot of directions the same way he does. But yeah, he absolutely does. We mutually he can step in any area of my life. <laughs> he has freedom. If he wanted to speak into what I was eating, I would let him. I mean, I, I trust him with everything. So, because I know he has best for me and he loves me through that lens of care and just authentically wanting to walk life together. So, yeah, absolutely. And we just value unity more than correctness or opportunity. I mean, opportunities are like buses, they come by every few minutes. And we see them all the time. But boy, for us to be in unity is the biggest thing. You know, the Bible says that unity is the place of commanded blessings. And we love working in the commanded blessings realm. Yeah, that was our word last year for his and for our lives. And this year it's relentless peace. It's actually more of a phrase. But still, we always come to a place where we want to have a word that God gives to us that we focus on. And that that's the center of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And we do that every year at the beginning of the year. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. Such a thoughtful strategy um, to sort of go about life. And, and I love the I love the the phrase of unity. I can definitely think back to moments in my marriage where that wasn't a phrase I would use, and moments where they were. And some seem to go better than others. You know, I'll let our listeners answer the poll on which one they think. But I think it's one over the other. Well, before we go a little deeper into that, Ash, I wanted to. I've heard you talk about how you are. Uh, you consider yourself a curator of all things beautiful, you know, people, places, and spaces. And so you've taken over, uh, you know, a good bit of the business. How do you see the purpose of your work? And how would you articulate that to our listeners who may find themselves in similar situations? Uh, you know, that was a challenge for me to actually understand the value of that. Because whenever you say that you are, I don't know, a curator of beauty, or that you're, I think I used to say I'm the bringer of beauty, but it sounds like you're just talking about pretty things and you're talking about what it looks like, you know, 
And that's something that I believe God actually withdraws beauty from within, obviously. But how that comes into our community and how it comes to me doing the work and how I see that in the bigger purpose of things is that it keeps me focused on who's got what God's character really is and who I'm supposed to imitate in every action that I do. And so he's so intentional and he's so anticipatory of me. And he has such a passion to make sure that I am well loved and well cared for. Well, those are all signs of hospitality. And so to me, that's the curator of beauty is bringing hospitality. And then once you bring that, that people that are, you can see love because love shows up in beauty. You can see that it's delivered because it's delivered through hospitality. And so I bring that to our businesses, I bring it to our clients, I bring it to our tenants, and I do it all in different ways, but mainly is me looking at it through the lens of, I thought of you before you got here, and how can I be intentional, and how can I anticipate you, and make sure that you know that you are anticipated in the same way that God anticipates us. It's such a big part of my life. I do it at home. <laughs> I told John, every time I think I talk about it, I tell him one more area I do it. And he's just like, that's the wildest thing. I try to think of who is the next person behind me and how will they experience themselves where I was? It doesn't matter if it's the bank teller that I'm giving my deposit to, if it's at the grocery store, how I'm putting back the cart, if it's at home, how I'm making sure John's creamer is in the refrigerator a certain way, whatever it is, I'm making sure the next person is set up for success and also set up to know that they were thought of. And they might not even know that that's why I'm doing it. And honestly, I don't need them to know. I just, I want to do it because it's what God does for me. Amen. Amen. And I want to switch to one more thing, local community. So obviously that's something near and dear to your heart. I think a lot of entrepreneurs listening, I'll speak for myself, you know, we read stories of people changing the world. We can get caught up in that that's what's necessary to make an impact on God's kingdom, right? Is giant scale and success and everyone knows. And that's the vision of, of the Elon Musk and the Steve Jobs of the world. And, and of course, some people may be called to that, right? My general feeling as I grow up a little bit and get a little older is that that's not the calling for most people. There's a lot of work to be done where you can throw a stick to and where you can see and I'd love to just give you both a little bit of an open mic to talk about what you've seen, the influence of walking out your front door and trying to make an impact on the places you walk past and the people you see and how you've seen that in these 10 locations that you've been building and how you might encourage people to look for those opportunities. I think it's so important that you got to have a vision. People perish without it. And so vision is the answer for perishing predicaments. If you have a vision, it's going to be something powerful in your life and you need a defined vision. So Ash and I first worked to have it in the five areas that matter, faith, family, fun, fitness, and finance. So for our five Fs, we have that, a vision that's as sophisticated for our faith as it is for our finances, as it is for our fun and our family. And, and what we do is we take that for our own life because you can't export what you don't import. And then you just walk right out the door and begin to say, who can I love today? What's God going to do today? And so for us, loving 10 square blocks in our city means all different kinds of things, but it does mean that we want to look for human flourishing. And we define human flourishing in our community when the people who have the least are experiencing the most. That's when it's flourishing. We ought to look at it and say, who has the least and are they experiencing the most? And and we kind of coined the word because people used to say, well, you're doing gentrification. And we said, no, we're not. Not at all. 
We're doing what pleases our Sunday school teacher and our economics teacher. So that means we've got to add value and not extract value. That means we want to do good and do well. And we want to work at the intersection of purpose and profits. And that's really the thing for us is to do that and say, can we do that? And can we do it in even the most basic unit of measurement, which for us, the most basic unit of measurement for a city is a family. One man loving one lady, raising some kids that they love, makes the key metric for building a town. And then they run a business. And so it's those people who invest into operating a business or living in our properties. And so we just ask ourselves, what does love look like? Because love is not what God does. It's who he is. You cut his finger off as a hunk of love. How does love side a house? How does love fix the roof? How does love deal with late payments? How does love walk down the sidewalk with trash on it? So, so much here. Um, for those of you who are just listening to this now, you now know why I encourage John to write some of this down at I and dozens and dozens of others. And he's done that. Also has a podcast called Redemptification. I love the way you've defined redemptification. Define it for us. Tell us about the podcast. Tell us about your ongoing work, how people can just get some more of this wisdom about creating a community, loving your wife well, and just coming to, to know the guy who loves you all more fully. We just said that gentrification was not what we did, but we did redemptification. So it's gentrification redeemed. And we said it's the creative work of returning people and places to their intended beauty and glory. And the podcast was just a way to start talking about it from Ash and I talking about people, problems to place problems and see it's interesting Real estate today is so driven by a private equity mindset. They remove all the love out of things. And what would love do? Won't you build for love's sake? We say it's 80% models and 20% miracles. It's sophisticated real estate development with love. And so we believe that's so powerful. We don't ask ourselves just what could we make. We ask ourselves what should we make? And we come at it from a totally different way. We want to leave a generational impact. We ask ourselves, What could we do in service of our city that would last 50 years and no one be able to undo it? When we find that, we got to go big on it. And then within the relationships, one of the greatest things, if God had a currency, it would be forgiveness. And if we're going to help people, we're going to help them learn how to love and help them learn how to forgive. And I would always ask God, God, this love is a high jump bar is too high. You expect it of me. You want me to be patient, kind, long-suffering, no records of wrong, hope all things, believe all things, oh, I'm sunk. And I felt, no, no, that's not what I wanted you to do. That's who I was going to be to you. Just go give it away. And so that love and forgiveness, and and if you wonder if you have unforgiveness, just tell tell me, are you fussing with anybody in the shower? And they're not there. Because if you are, you got it. And you're usually winning. And if you're having the argument and it always starts as microwave popcorn and ends up at your mama remember when and you're back in the past again it's there you can put all the concrete over the nuclear waste of unforgiveness you want in your life and it's going nowhere till you deal with it and uh, the way to do that is i was wrong will you please forgive me that's the key phrase in people and forgiveness so those are a part of redemptification redeeming people and redeeming places to that intended beauty and glory That's beautiful. Yeah, we're always sad to move to a close, but with that, we are going to move towards the end of the episode. And, you know, what we really love to do at the end is on that really just 
bridge God's word between our listeners and our guests. And so what we love to do at the end is just give an opportunity for both of you to share something, you know, it could be something you read this morning, could be something you've meditated on your whole life, but maybe something from God's word that you feel might be an encouragement to our listeners and how it's impacting you today. We'll let you go, Mr. Marsh. Well, I guess mine is kind of came out of two places, Exodus 4, where, you know, Aaron and Moses, they did the signs in front of the people and they believed. And um, circumstantial faith is lost when the circumstances change. But what God's putting on my heart right now around Hebrews is faith is the substance of things hoped for. And I'm learning again that if you have hope in your future, you have power in your present. If you want to know one thing, that when you get words from the enemy, they're hopeless and God's hopeful. That's why he condemns us instead of convicts us. That's how you know the difference in condemnation and conviction is condemnation is hopeless and conviction is hopeful. And what the Lord's put on my heart today is, John, your faith should inform your sight and not your sight inform your faith. And so I'm asking God, give me eyes to see. I want front row seats to miracles, 50 yard line seats to miracles. And I want to see things in my heart that my eyes can't yet see. It's beautiful. See, he's awesome. I get to go home to him in a minute. So for me, honestly, it's focusing on what God says about me as a daughter of the King. A few years ago, God gave me, whenever, right before I took over running our companies, when I was just trying to figure out how to manage everything. And God gave me a vision and it was just all he expects of me or all he wants of me is to be his daughter, to be my husband's wife and to be the mother to my children. And that was the word that was given to me. And so on that, that is where I keep my focus. And right now I'm asking, you know, okay, if I'm the daughter of the King, what does that mean for me in my everyday life and how I use my hands and my mind and the decisions that I um, make that actually impact so many people. And so one of the things that I'm learning right now is to either delegate or execute it. And and either one of those, if I delegate it to others to be gracious and kind in delegation, and if I execute it to be excellent and fervent in what I do, and to make sure that I'm just saying a woman that is strong, that gentle, John calls me the weakest strong woman, by the way. <laughs> but um, to be strong enough that I have the liberty to be gentle with others and to be wise enough that I can actually carry humility in my decisions that I'm doing and to also just be compassionate with others. And I believe that that is really being a true woman that sits right there with God as his daughter in kingship and saying, hey, I am a daughter of the king and I know how to execute his kingdom well. And I'm going to do that by loving the others that are around me and the places that he's given me to love. That's what he's working with me right now, staying on focus with being the daughter of the king. That's a great focus. I'm grateful for both of you. Thank you. Check out the Redemptification Podcast. If you're listening to this and you're an entrepreneur who loves your community, whether it's a small town in Kentucky or whether it's a big town like Winter Haven, Florida, Ash, how do people get in touch with Marsh Collective? Well, you can go to our website, definitely, which is marshcollective.com. I'd be more than happy to take some emails in. I'm a really great person to connect with, and it's just Ashley at Marsh Collective, right? With an E. A-S-A-T-E. What do you say? You can't say I'm a great person to connect with, but yeah, I'm not really sure didn't work out so well. Uh, I don't email myself well, too often. She, she is a great person to connect with uh, if you can find a way to connect. <laughs> Her name's spelled tricky, A-S-H-E-L-Y. Ooh, that's I'm good. A special, I'm a special um, butterfly there. 
<laughs> That's awesome. All right, you bless us both. I can't, I can't get enough of the Marxisms and just, uh, I don't know whether it's Sex and Supper or what was the definition? <laughs> sex and Supper is okay. It's all good. Yeah. You know, I can throw another one out there for you, Henry. I pick at John all the time and tell him I'm going to tell people that he uses the F word because we talk about the F words all the time in our house, the faith, fun, family, fitness, and finance. What a great way to get an audience kind of interested in what you're going to say, talking about your husband's use of the F word at home. And now they're listening and now you get a chance to witness with them. Thank you both for your faithfulness and the way that you've encouraged our community. We are grateful for the opportunity to serve the community and see listeners tune in from over 100 countries. Entrepreneurship is often a lonely journey, but it doesn't have to be. The best way to stay connected is to join a foundation group with other faith-driven entrepreneurs like yourself. There's no cost, no catch, in person or online. You can meet an hour a week with your peers from your backyard across the continent or on the other side of the world. You can also stay connected by signing up for our monthly newsletter at africa.faithdrivenentrepreneur.org. All this is made possible with the special help of all our friends. Thanks to the volunteers leading entrepreneurial groups and watch parties to spark this movement in your city and country. We are grateful for you and hope you'll continue to share this with friends.